Welcome to another edition of Mike's Notes. Today we are going to talk about the survivorship bias, what it is, why it matters, and three examples of how we can understand it better. The survivorship bias, or the survival bias, or the survivor bias, is a psychological bias where we tend to listen to the survivors of a situation more often than we listen to the non-survivors. And this comes up in a few different domains, and we're going to look at it through three different lenses. But uh, the reason I started this particular episode of the podcast is because the project I'm doing on the survivorship bias. I did research on over 60 startups that failed and noticed that in those failures there was a lot of lessons to be learned. A lot of lessons that weren't being learned because of what the survivorship bias is. The survivor bias is a way to invert our thinking. It's to figure something out by looking at a question a certain way or looking at a question backwards. And it's something that Trent Griffin and Charlie Munger both use in their thinking, is to flip something around. So rather than asking the question, what do successful startups do? We can ask the question, what did unsuccessful startups do? And if there's common themes in what unsuccessful startups did, we know that we can just avoid those things. And if we avoid those things, we can improve our chances for success. One example is Blockbuster and Netflix. There are an almost infinite number of, of news stories about Netflix. And why is that? Netflix is around. That's why Blockbuster is no longer around. And so we see the survivorship bias there. And that doesn't mean that Netflix doesn't have good lessons for us if we want to study that. And Blockbuster has no lessons. Rather, that we should look at both sides of that coin. There are things that Blockbuster and Netflix had in common. First of all, they both had a lot of new release movies, although Blockbuster had better service with new release movies. You could get movies from both of them, although you could get them more quickly from Blockbuster. Netflix wasn't necessarily a money-saving service, but it was a time-saving service. You could make your queue, and then the movies would come out from that. So even though Blockbuster was better than Netflix, in many ways, Blockbuster was the company that isn't around anymore. So why is that? And that's what the goal of this survivorship bias project is, is to figure out why some startups aren't around anymore and some startups are. I remember watching The Social Network when it first came out and being so inspired by it and then the power of coding that I immediately took my laptop and stayed up late one night trying to learn some coding language. And that never stuck. And uh, that's an anecdotal story, but it supports this overall point that you can't always look at what makes the most successful companies. There's lots of good lessons in the unsuccessful companies too. And that's what I looked at. Today we're going to have three characters that show the value of overcoming the survivorship bias. Our first example is World War II airplanes. Our second example is NBA basketball players. And our third example is mutual funds. And each of these three areas shows the survivorship bias and how we can make mistakes. World War II airplanes. This is the example you hear most often with survivorship bias, and it's a good one. 
The situation was, in World War II, uh, Allied aircraft, and specifically Navy aircraft, were under such heavy fire that the odds of making it back from a bombing run were about 50% at the worst moments of the war. That means that if you went on six consecutive bomber runs, your chances of survival were a scary 2%. So the uh, Navy went to a mathematics researcher named Abraham Wald, and they asked him if he knew where to put extra armor on the airplane so that they could withstand further attacks. Wald was involved with the uh, Department of the Navy that was looking at things like in what sort of a radius should ships fire torpedoes to sink submarines? And they found out that there was a mathematical formula that related to uh, the way the waves on the water were and the distance from the ship and things like that. So they were using math to solve these problems. And Wald looked at the airplane situation and he pointed out that it was being examined backwards. The Navy didn't need to look at where the plane that came back had been hit, they needed to look at where the plane that came back wasn't hit because, Wald reasoned, that's where the downed planes were and those were the planes you wanted to protect. So Wald figured out that the place you put armor was the place that the returning planes hadn't been hit. And that's one example of the survivorship bias where we look at the survivors and if we don't think deeply enough we can come to the wrong conclusions. Our second example is NBA basketball players, or more specifically, non-NBA basketball players. Earl the Goat Manigault is one of the most famous basketball players in New York City. Um, he was born in 1944, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar once called him one of the best basketball players in New York City. And Manigault and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar both came up around the same time. They both played in New York City. Um, and they both had different games. Kareem was an inside uh, basketball player, and Manigault was a jumper. He was one of the, the people who made the dunk popular. Uh, there's street stories in New York that he was once able to do a double dunk, where he jumped, dunked the ball through the hoop, and then with his other hand caught the ball as it exited the net and dunked it again, and all in a single jump. Uh, but besides being a good dunker, Manigault had weaknesses in his basketball game. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar says that um, he couldn't shoot from beyond eight feet, and he wasn't really interested in passing. And so Manigault lacked two key skills that, if you wanted to make it in the NBA, you really needed to have. He also had a problem with addictions uh, to drugs and alcohol and, and other things that, that ultimately derailed his prep career and his college career. So we can look at Kareem, and we can look at Manigault as side-by-side -side examples. Kareem is the example of the survivor effect, where uh, we can try to imitate the things that the survivor did. And Manigault is the example of the non-survivor, the person who didn't make a career playing professional basketball. And we can avoid the things he did. But note, we can't just look at Kareem. If we were to only look at Kareem and his experiences, we would see, well, he's a seven-footer. Well, he took dance lessons. Well, he was at UCLA with one of the best coaches of all time. And he landed with the Los Angeles Lakers, a really stable franchise that helped uh, extend his career and keep it going. So Abdul-Jabbar has some effects in his career that we can't replicate and that wouldn't be worth replicating because, because they don't lead to big results. They're part of his story, 
but it's not necessarily something that you or I could do. We can get better results. We can get more powerful results. If we looked at Manigault's story, uh, the goat couldn't shoot from the outside. If you want to be a professional basketball player, you have to shoot from the outside. He also couldn't pass. Something else you need to do. If you can jump, that's got to be helpful. So that's another skill you can have. But if you can avoid the personal problems that the goat had, then uh, you'll have a better chance of success. So it's those big things from Manigault that will move your professional basketball career forward more than the little things that Abdul-Jabbar did, like take dance lessons or end up at UCLA. Our third example of the survivorship bias is in mutual funds. And this is only something I've started to understand, but it's an interesting idea for our focus here. Mutual funds have a survivorship bias because funds are closed, but the results of closed funds aren't folded into the overall results. So in the blog post that accompanies this podcast, I laid out mutual funds A, B, C, and D. And those funds are all part of a group called long-term growth funds. Well, after a year, you would look at the success of long-term growth funds by adding up the results of A, B, C, and D. But then the next year, if the mutual fund C closed up because it was doing poorly, or because it blew up, or because a manager left, then you wouldn't include that in the results anymore. You would only include the results of A, B, and D. And note that funds don't get closed when they're doing well. Funds get promoted when they're doing well. If something shuts down more often than not, it's because something bad happened or something detrimental to the fund. And that's a form of survivorship bias where the weakest things are weeded out. And then the overall average, the big picture you look at later, is artificially high. That wouldn't normally be that high, except that not all of the data is there. And not all of the data is there because there's a survivorship bias in the results. So why does any of this matter? This matters because founders need this information. In my research on failed startups, I read over 60 postmortems, and there were many instances where a founder was mentioning the survivor bias as part of the reason they thought they could start a startup. And it's not saying that they failed because they uh, overestimated how easy or how valuable or how rewarding it would be, but it was part of it, and it was a consistent part that it spurred my thinking and led me deeper into the research. One founder wrote, quote, All that you can really glean by examining the creme de la creme is perhaps an understanding that putting in just enough hard work will probably generate just enough sheer luck for you to accomplish what you set out to do, end quote. So that founder is pointing out the survivorship bias. So if you look at just the best of the best and what they do, if you work really hard and get lucky, you might have your equivalent results to what they had. Another founder wrote, quote, the startup press glorify hardship. They glorify the Airbnbs who sold breakfast cereal to survive and then turn their idea into a multi-billion dollar business. You rarely hear the raw stories of startups that persevered but ultimately failed, end quote. Another example of the survivorship bias. If you only read TechCrunch or Verge or any of the other tech websites, you hear a lot more about the survivors than the non-survivors. But the non-survivors have valuable stories too. A third entrepreneur wrote, quote, 
For every entrepreneurial story where the success is attributed to the founders being steadfast through hard times, there are probably five failures that were due to founders being stubborn or scared about making a hard decision. This is a prime example of survivorship bias, where we attribute success to traits that survivors exhibit even if there was no causation by those traits, end quote. So what we see here is that there's value in what the survivors and the non-survivors say. What we want to figure out is where is the tipping point between listening to the survivors and listening to the non-survivors. The survivors will mostly say, hard work is good, and hard work is really good. The survivors will also admit to being lucky, and you really do need to be lucky if your startup is going to succeed. But at some point, the things the survivors did really don't play much of any role. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar took dance lessons. That may have helped him a little bit, but avoiding addictions that will ruin your life and ruin your career and send you to prison, that's a much, much bigger thing if you want to have success as a professional basketball player. Same with the airplanes. The researchers with the Navy could have figured out where to put armor on the surviving planes, but the much, much bigger effect came from looking at the non-survivors and seeing what they didn't do. And that's what we need. If you're involved in a startup, the best thing you can do is save time, is to make more right choices without making as many wrong choices. If you can do the right things faster, your chances of succeeding are a lot better. This project looks strictly at the technology industry because the technology industry is like a petri dish where uh, failure is okay. Failure is like the start of a growth in the petri dish and it displays results much better. In the technology culture, failure is not like a scarlet letter but more like a badge of honor. It's like the I ran a marathon and all I got was this lousy t-shirt t-shirt. You can follow along with this project at medium.com slash survivorship hyphen bias. And a link for that will be in the show notes. This has been another edition of Mike's Notes.